Today's episode of The Watch is brought by 90 Day Fiance. With an engagement ring in one hand and a passport in the other, seven Americans will try to prove that romance isn't dead. It's just 5,000 miles away. After falling in love online, these singles are now flying halfway around the world to meet their potential soulmate for the very first time. Will it be an epic love story? Find out on the new season of 90 Day Fiance before the 90 days, Sunday at 8 on TLC and streaming on TLC Go. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by The Venture Brothers. A brand new season of the critically acclaimed animated series, The Venture Brothers, is almost here. Watch Hank, Dean, Brock, Rusty, and the rest of Team Venture attempt to save their frozen butts from the icy chill of organized villainy. Premieres Sunday, August 5th at midnight on Adult Swim. All in the name of super science, go Team Venture. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to today's episode of The Watch. On today's show, we talked about Mission Impossible Fallout. There are spoilers in there, especially when it comes to Henry Cavill's physique. We also talked about the penultimate episode of Succession, so obviously spoilers involved there. I think Succession is wearing a new piece of jewelry, right, Zach? That's right. We're also, we wanted to let you know, if you want to talk more about the stuff we talk about on the show, the best place to do it is the Watch Facebook group. So that's facebook.com slash group slash the watch pod. So you should join that and check out all the conversation happening in there. Also, if you're trying to wear your love for the watch, we are sold out of t-shirts, but we promise more are coming soon. Thank you so much to everyone who's copped those Baranski fits for summer. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRigger.com and joining me in the studio is their down a foot. It's Andy Greenwald. I don't, which of our content is that in reference Andy to? Andy the Egg. It's, it's fucking succession, uh, baby. Okay. Uh, Andy, The Watch is here. It's Monday. We're going to talk about mission and, well, mission colon mm-hmm. impossible M dash fallout. Yeah. We're going to talk about mission impossible fallout. And then we're going to talk about the penultimate episode of Succession. You can listen to another version of my thoughts on the penultimate <laughs> episode of Succession on the recapables. Prenuptial, we covered that. Katie Baker, myself, and Jason Concepcion is a really fun pod. Do you have two sets of opinions about Succession? Like two No, suits? I actually made sure that like, it, with Succession, it's easy because yeah. I feel a certain way about it. But you know, sometimes Positively. when you like pedal your shit out there, it gets a little bit diverse. Yeah, well, it's not going to dilute <laughs> on this podcast, my friend. Um, the watch is officially back on its bullshit, jumping off of buildings, crashing helicopters into other helicopters. Let's talk a little bit about Fallout, Let's man. start there because you know, you know I'm all about that arc like a Monday morning vibes. <laughs> Starting the work week right. What was your uh, what was your fellow moviegoer like? Um, well, my friend Brian showed up randomly and sat next to me, so that was very nice. That's cool. Um, otherwise, it was just four other dudes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were kind of. Let me say it was a, it was as random an assortment of aging dudes as the current incarnation of the IMF. Okay. You know what I mean? That's like good. It, it that we had it we, there was definitely a Luther. There were a couple <laughs> Luthers. Um there may have been a Benji. Weirdly was lacking in Ilsa. Yeah, no, I would no say yeah. I will say that it could have uh, it, that would have improved it. So, big movie. Everyone loves this movie. Made a ton of money this weekend. I have to tell you, uh-oh. No, no, no. I I really enjoyed it. Don't worry people. You can scratch this off your bingo cards. I have a lot of macro thoughts about it. And maybe one of the things about these movies is they don't really stand up to much micro thought. I will say for about half of the, I'm just, I'm just um, 
just trying to just guess it out of my mind. You're guesstimating out of its six hour running time. Is that accurate? <laughs> There's it ends and then they go to Kashmir. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. for the that first half of the film, uh-huh. um, I was like, well, this was an interesting choice to basically make a three hour docudrama about men with curated facial hair in suits nodding. Because really, I, there's been so many Mission Impossible takes, but I feel like there hasn't been one about the sartorial choices of American men in the world over the last two decades. Facial hair played such a key role in this film. Because of Cavill? Cavill's choices, uh, Vanessa Kirby's brother, all the oh, dudes in the background. Tom Hardy? Fake yeah. Tom Hardy. Yeah. All the dudes in the background who are constantly opening and closing their radiation-proof Toomey cases yes. to show off their plutonium balls. Also, Weird the choice. choice to make all those guys completely swole. Yeah. So, in their suits. Yeah, I mean, they're just like MMA fighters wearing, yeah. wearing three-piece suits, There was some basically. stuff in the background. But, but look, let's not go down that rabbit hole first. Let me just say that all of it was worth it for the last 30 minutes. Oh, interesting. I, you know, they, there were... You, you tell me your thoughts, and then I'll, I'll start to go down these narrow alleyways in Paris with you. Yeah, I think that this is a movie that's built around its set pieces, and the set pieces are basically unparalleled. You know, and yeah. so if if you're going to build a completely nonsensical plot around these, pretty much he takes Fast and the Furious level scale mm -hmm. and shoots it like a 1970s crime movie. Mm -hmm. And that is cracked me. Like, that's just, it just gets me... It gets the people going. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I really enjoyed that. So he has uh, Christopher McQuarrie, the director, and you can listen to him on Sean's podcast, uh, Sean Fennessy's podcast, The Big Picture. McQuarrie was on Friday, and they talked a lot about the, the staging of these movies. But the thing that really jumps out at me is that this is like what would happen if somebody who was, you know, a Friedkin, a John Borman mm -hmm. making point blank was trying to make something where a dude flew a helicopter into another helicopter yeah. and then crashed the helicopters into a mountain and then had like a little helicopter fight while the helicopters were falling. I, I think... And that's just like, it's really, really good. It's palpable. It's yeah. visceral. It feels real, even if it, even if it isn't, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of looking at phones. I was bummed out by that. But let me say this. Um, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you know I'm generally allergic to that tagline, like, it's worth it for the set pieces. Uh -huh. You know, there is definitely a little, there's, there's an element of this that's like reading Playboy for the articles, you know, or like fast-forwarding, <laughs> so, yeah. fast-forwarding porn. I go to Mission Impossible for the plot. No, fast-forwarding porn to like see if the pizza gets delivered <laughs> because the interstitial stuff is just wild dumb. Uh-huh. But there were moments in this movie where, yeah, even, even Mr. Grumpy over here, the set pieces are at times ecstatic. And the jump out of the airplane is deliriously entertaining and fun. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the key word, that they, rem for the most part, they remain fun. I mean, I, I think motorcycle and car chases are, are hard to make fun because they, the bar has been raised so high and they are so relentlessly, like, jarring and physical at this point. And apparently people are indestructible when they come flying off of motorcycles. But at the end of this movie, I mean, and I'm sorry if this is a spoiler. Dude's getting hit in the face with laptops so hard. So hard. How about <laughs> Ilsa takes a fire log <laughs> to the cranium, okay? And she gets back up like a running back in the 1970s. She's just like, put me back in the game. I have a couple but, of- But I, my last yeah. thought was the helicopter shit, God bless you. That was so ludicrous, and it made me laugh with joy and delight. I was so happy that a helicopter crashed into another helicopter <laughs> and then fell on a helicopter. 
<laughs> and homies were still like, let's go. Um, I want to talk a little bit. I see. I, I'm I'm the reverse of you. I I thought everything that was in Paris was just outrageously good. So everything from the the motorcycle chase, the Ilsa stuff, uh, the first Vanessa Kirby meeting, um, the the convoy. Uh, ambush that they do. All that stuff was outrageous. I love the nightclub. It's beautiful. The also. weird, like, it's, it's just like, this is a very special nightclub that apparently 10,000 people can come to. Yes. But and you the, have to have, like, this this little, like, wristband to get into it. But, you no, know, you get, so basically, I mean, I, I actually did want to spend a lot of, uh, maybe two to three podcasts breaking <laughs> down the fact that it is Twilo in the 90s in the front room. Yes. And though everyone is clearly tripping balls, no one goes to the bathroom in ever. In the back, it's Joel Grey Cabaret. Exactly. Yeah. And you can just have both experiences. That's terrific. Yes. I mean, what, that is such great hosting. You know, and I know that like, when rich want. people are like, here's my charity event, so indulge me a little bit, but uh, Vanessa Kirby, who plays yeah. Vanessa Redgrave from the first movie's daughter, I guess. Oh, Max. She ref- refers to Max, her mother. Wow, it's a deep cut. Yeah, you didn't get that? You know what? Friends, I, I did not. <laughs> yeah, so the connective tissue is strong. Wow. Um, she <laughs> is... Vanessa Redgrave, famous for trying to download an email <laughs> attachment on a fucking bullet train. That was the set piece of the first movie, so yes. things have changed. Yeah, uh, Vanessa Kirby uh, from The Crown is in this movie, and she uh, inexplicably yeah. is giving this speech about the charity event that yeah. she's hosting as if she's singing to a group of GIs about to depart for <laughs> Normandy. <laughs> In 1942. That's exactly right. It's really wild. It's just like no explanation given. She's just mm-hmm. like, I'm just going to stand here and hold this microphone like I'm singing Memphis Bell or something. Uh, I, there's a lot of questions I, I have. It's interesting how the guys choose seemingly on like a group email. Maybe they have Slack. Yeah. Like today we're only going to fight with knives. Yeah. Or today we're only going to fight with choppers. Or like Sean Harris is like, I'm just going to use a bunch of ropes now. (laughs) Like it seems like they have lots of toys in this movie. You'd want to use them whenever you had the opportunity. I also, I want to interrogate Sean Harris's decision to end his life with the explosion (laughs) of two nuclear devices in Kashmir and in the last 15 minutes that he has on planet Earth. <laughs> Just stare. Not stare. First <laughs> knit some nooses. I believe the plural is niece. I'm not sure. So yes, he ends his life by fashioning nooses. Just in case. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's his hobby, like whittling for Just some. had a lot of raw rope to work with in Kashmir at a, at a health organization mess, mash tent. Let's run it back to Vanessa Kirby for a moment because, you know, now that I know uh-huh. that her life was defined by a frustrating download on an Acela, <laughs> I get it. I get her motivation. But I do wonder, like, we live in Los Angeles, a city where there are a lot of like over the top charity functions and even like preschools have big galas, you know, and like Beyonce plays them for the school her daughters go to. What is the level of celebrity required to end your charitable event by stabbing men in the heart (laughs) and people will still cut you the check? Like what, who, Beyonce could get away with that. There's no question. Uh, yeah, I just, there was no, like, it just seemed like that was like, that would have been on social media really fast. Also, because then she's like, I'm safe in my apartment. <laughs> it would have just been on DJ Academics or World Stars yeah. vlog. Like, sick, sick stabbing to the heart at charity event in Paris. Shit is lit as AF. Like. Also, I don't want to pile on. You know, I think my feelings about the current American administration are clear on the mic and off of it. But I don't think it helps the CNN is real news, just sort of narrative. If your boy Wolf Blitzer is like, please, 
please let me be on set. Well, I don't necessarily know if he was a willing participant. All they need to do is get close enough to scan his face. That's really, that's true. With one of them tough books. Yeah. With a 3D printer in the bottom. Um, What did you think of Cavill? There's a lot of fun to be had here. I I have, I guess I'm left with a lot of questions about Cavill. Uh Uh-huh. I appreciate, this is really my first sustained exposure to Cavill because real talk, I've not made it through a Superman movie since he's been in that role. And I, people, old heads from plane movies know that I did not finish Man from Uncle on that plane either. Um, Great movie. He, I appreciated that he was used as a special effect. He's physically huge and he yes. looks like, um, in, he looks like Errol Flynn. And no, with he that, does not. No, in that like- He looks like a dude- who's been curling guys the size of okay, Earl fair. Flynn. I just mean, there's an element of yeah, that Yeah, he has old an old Hollywood swashbuckling. Yeah, with, sure. his, with his forelock flying in the wind. Um, I would say that uh, stretching his neck was probably the most believable acting choice he made in the film. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a really bold choice by Chris McQuarrie to just basically tattoo across his mustache that this is a bad guy. I'm kind of into the fact that they weren't hiding it. You know, that was just very, very clear from the beginning. And then they even added the scene where he's just talking to Angela Bassett being like, the hero of this film is a villain. (laughs) Um, So, okay. I didn't think he was much of of a spy. A lot of punches to the throat. I didn't think he was much of a spy because I would never, uh, he would never not be the first person. I was like, that guy was the dangerous person in this room. (laughs) The fucking seven foot tall guy with a $900 bag. He looks like Colossus from the (laughs) X-Men. I think he's like a little bit, you don't want to, you don't really blend in George Smiley style. No. (laughs) It's like he sits down on a bench to make a chalk mark and the bench just flips over over his head. Um, I, we're having a lot of fun at this movie's expense, but part of it is like, you should see Andy and I both have smiles on our faces because this is a delightful, I found it to be a delightful movie experience. It was. I think that there were some things that I, I, I think Rebecca Ferguson is just great. I thought she was the best thing in the last one. And I think that Rogue Nation remains superior to me because of her role in it. Um, I think this movie was complicated by the fact that it does look like someone took that 3D printing tough book to Michelle Monaghan and made a person with a British accent. Mm-hmm. They look mad similar. She's Swedish. And you could make the yeah. case that um, maybe Ethan Hunt has a type. Yeah, maybe. But otherwise, that was kind of confusing at times yeah and Kristen Scott Thomas in the first one seems to be he seems to have affection for her and yeah I mean he's he's one of our great romantic leads let's not (laughs) let's not dance around it I I I guess the thing is I had a good time and I I'm impressed by the scale and the spectacle of it and I am and I'm grateful that for the most part they are in on the bit that these these old dodos are the ones saving the world again and again and again and they've just contracted the group down to these three um plus Rebecca Ferguson I guess now I think that Macquarie is incredibly talented and deserves a lot of the, all of the praise coming his way. I do think that his talent, and so to remember that he, before he started writing and directing these movies, he was one of the most sought after writers and rewriters, Mm -hmm. often without credit, in all of Hollywood. And what this movie and the one before it strikes me as is an absolute triumph of um, talent in the current Hollywood system. And what I mean is, he fixes things. He fixes problems. And when you look at a Mission Impossible movie or a $300 million co-financed by the Chinese global blockbuster like this, it's nothing but potential problems. One of which is satisfying Tom Cruise. One of which is satisfying fans all over the world. One of which is amping up 
the stakes mm-hmm. for the set pieces, right? That's why they have to go to Kashmir. Is because but, the the movie that you and I would probably be really satisfied with is one that just takes place in Europe, yeah. and is a shinier version of Bourne, and is basically like really cool shit happening in London and Paris. But they need to add that extra layer of superherodom to pretty much match the expectations yes. of the box office, and 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 go and blow past wherever we thought the bar was set last time. But I there's a level of of problem solving here that I admire so much. Thinking about. Okay, so J.J. Abrams introduced Michelle Monaghan's character as the as his wife, as Ethan Hunt's wife, uh, three movies ago. She was sort of shepherded off to the sidelines because we didn't want Ethan Hunt to be married. In this is actually TV writers' room style. Instead of thinking of that as a loose thread, think of it as an opportunity. Similarly, expanding the palette, expanding the universe, bringing in new characters, connecting them to old characters, um, not killing off a villain because mm-hmm. if you have a potential, you know. Um, Especially enemy. a guy as fun-loving as Sean Harris. He's such a, he's such a great hang. <laughs> yeah. um, but it is the kind of problem-solving that feels satisfying in the moment, much like eating a Dorito feels very filling when you're eating one. Maybe you should have another one. And then 10 minutes later, I'm like, well, it, it, it left me a little cold. Uh-huh. I don't mean to be critical of that to take away from the achievement. I just do think it's worth considering from that macro level. I know like, why he is, is. He is fixing stuff. I know why you feel a little empty. It's Cruz. And it's mm-hmm. Cruz is now at this point um, almost like a it, it's a, it's like a hologram of Cruz. Yeah, and he is a that hologram effect. is very very durable. Um, not only in the popular imagination of that, mm-hmm. we're just if you see him and you see his name, you're like I'm I'm all in. But there's something fundamentally missing from what was his original appeal for me, and you can see it uh, in anything from. I don't know when the last time it really showed up. I guess Edge of Tomorrow, I think. But I love you movie. can see it in the first Mission Impossible where he's still running scenes. He's still playing off of people. He's right. still got... Ethan Hunt has a weird, pugnacious, uh, almost self-harming personality of like just insane self-confidence mm-hmm. that sometimes leads him into these incredibly dangerous situations and endangers the people around him. And... They've kind of stripped that away. It pops up once or twice. I think there's a little bit of it in the club scene. And there's a little bit of it in the early part of the movie where he actually is having fun with Simon Pegg throughout a sustained moment. Oh, that opening scene in Bel- uh, when they're buying the plutonium. Even after that, it. I think a, it's something like, I know scene. what I'm doing, Benji, okay? Like he's yeah. had, he has something where he's like actually has a reaction. And it just reminds you of how little of it you get in these movies, I would imagine because so much of his mental and physical time is spent negotiating flying a helicopter, jumping off a roof, oh. learning how to drive this car super fast, doing motorcycle stunts, everything that goes into making these movies to say nothing of producing them and probably solving tons of problems off off camera that we don't even it, see. It's not a secret. Um, Tom Cruise runs a Tom Cruise movie. He has final cut. He has say in everything. Um, so I think that point is 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 well made. It is the it is a performance or these this last sustained run post couch jumping mm-hmm. is is a type of performance I think unparalleled in human history. I, and I don't even mean that in terms of his acting. I just don't think we've ever seen anything like this. He is less an actor now as he is a human cannonball. He he's ignited at the beginning beginning of these movies and he never. I mean, Concepcion was talking about this when we were talking about Mission Impossible. He's become Jackie Chan in some ways. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, you know, and he's still able to do it. It's terrific. But I agree with you. I miss, I miss some, I miss charm. I miss Sherry McGuire. I miss banter. Yeah. Um, 
And Miss Daniel Caffey, Miss like some of the I am in a room playing off of other people. I have a personality that is mm -hmm. basically one in a million. Um, all Do, right, were you last two things? Um, the opening of this movie again, it's just economical. It's just very impressive. I, I that, which feels like a backhanded compliment, but I don't mean it to be. But there's that opening uh, dream, uh, you know, oh, to the, his wedding. the nuclear explosion. Yeah. Is it weird that I was like, I thought Thanos had just snapped his fingers. <laughs> that I thought that we were really doing world building on a major level here. Um, two, what do you think it says about American masculinity in 2018? All this facial hair. Dr. Wes Bentley. Doctor, just Dr. Wes, Wes Bentley? Bentley? It's just, there was a time in American cinema when the major characters, let alone the secondary characters, did not have beards, artfully curated beards. Uh -huh. The 70s they did. Yeah. And then like 80s, 90s, and most of the, the 2000s, they did not. And then look at Sean Harris. I mean, fair. He's, yeah, and like in The Fugitive, he, Dr. he's like, I have to get rid of my beard so I can seriously be a fugitive now. Exactly. I would be a much better served as a fugitive without my beard. I want to get to succession. I have one more question yeah. for you. Who do you think got more bang for the buck? Alec Baldwin or Angela Bassett? Screen time or like, on an, an expense paid trip to Essentially, Kashmir? like, who do you think enjoyed their time more? Because Angela oh. Bassett essentially has to walk across a yeah. landmark of Paris, walk across a tarmac, and then show up on FaceTime. Yeah, no. There's Whereas Alec Baldwin actually gets to play around a little bit, but essentially does like the same Alec Baldwin thing that he always does. Yes, but he got to just have a little bit of like one last Hunt for Red October glory run. Yeah, that's right. Um, I couldn't believe he actually did some like physical combat. He, he looked, he looked, he looked pretty good, pretty spry. He had, he definitely had more fun. And Ange but that said, Angela Bassett definitely enjoyed the paycheck <laughs> and the trip to Paris. You know, like I would, why wouldn't you take this job? And then I guess she'll be in the next nine. Last last thing, mission. Are you? How many years do you think it is before we get mission impo mission colon impossible hyphen long slow death from radiation poisoning? I think it's got to be in the next two years. But that technically, I don't know if he he can make another one after like he's fifty nine now. No, he's fifty six. Fifty six. I don't think he can keep making these into his sixties. So they've probably got one more in them. Do you think? Um, the next movie will just be like John Cusack and Fat Man and Little Boy just like slowly dying because they were all basically <laughs> juggling. Standing around plutonium They're all for just juggling plutonium hours. balls. Yes, yes. All right, we'll be right back to talk about Succession after this break. All right, Andy, you know, uh, we're back here. We're talking about Succession and there's one major thing I want to talk to you about okay. with this episode, which I thought was brilliant. I thought was brilliant in a way that was similar to Prague and brilliant in a way that was completely different. Mm -hmm. I thought it was, in a lot of ways, like a complete gut punch of an episode. Mm -hmm. uh, you got to see um, some of the frailty that I think is on display when they're, everybody, all the characters in this show are just uh, doing a lot of like swinging dick actions. But like in this episode, I felt like they were kind of really exposed. A lot of them were exposed and vulnerable and also possibly at their worst. Um, but the thing that I thought was so impressive, and uh, we should say up front, we haven't done this in a while, but we're giving Succession the belt. Yep. Uh, Succession is the best show on television. I think it's probably the best show of the year. Uh, I don't remember the last time I've loved a show this much. And every week it shows a different side of itself. And, you know, it's a very small sample size, but with few exceptions, most of the people that I know talk about this show in the way that we we often really value when we're talking about giving a show the belt, where it's become mm -hmm. a conversation topic that people talk about the day after. The thing I want to talk to you about mm -hmm. is the way in which Jesse Armstrong and the writers and the directors of this show 
are able to situate multiple characters yeah. in a space. And how complicated that must be to do something like the nightclub in, in the Prague episode, which was actually just in New York, or this, this wedding reception, this night before wedding reception. And to actually physically understand where everybody is mm -hmm. and how they're relating to one another in just a, okay, well, the, the mother-in-law is over here and she's going to have these five interactions and those five interactions are going to cause these five reactions. Mm -hmm. I find it, aside from the brilliance of the dialogue and the, the stuff, the, the, you know, the, the wrangling that's happening for this kingdom, the actual just like architecture of scenes is so impressive to me. I'm glad you used the word architecture. That is what I remain totally dazzled by. And it's what I started to pick up on in number five, episode five, Thanksgiving, and the one that blew me away in Austerlitz, which remains, I think, the high point of the season. Mm -hmm. Although this in moments in individual scenes gave it a run for its money. There was a deep understanding of how to make a show like this work. And I think it was every Every episode needs to bring these characters together. Now, how do we do that when they all are in far-flung places or running different, you know, in or inside or outside of the company? It was intentionally structured, this season, to have beat after beat after beat of an excuse for these people to be together. And that is an architecture that is clearly designed, clearly well-intentioned, and brilliantly executed. I don't know if there has been a show that featured this many parties since the O.C., which also seemed to understand early on that the best way to get people moving was there to be some sort of event and then high society and low society and everything would, and someone would get punched on the beach. Um, this episode was so elegantly done because as your point, and it reminds, it's almost theatrical mm -hmm. because if you're making, if you're writing a play, obviously the moments you choose to present have to be the absolute tune your dial to 10, one more to 11 spinal tap version of emotional of, of, of in terms of being fraught with emotion and stakes for each character that has tracked but then to your point about following characters through physical space in how long was this episode 55 minutes whatever mm -hmm. the time is we are introduced to um the mother of caroline yeah. caroline of of uh of kendall of roman and of shiv played by harriet walter brilliantly played by harriet walter mm -hmm. such an impact from her very first appearance and such thought going into what is her role? What is she weaponized with inside this fishbowl? And being weaponized with walking around your daughter's, uh, the night before your daughter's wedding, asking people to give odds on how long the wedding is going to last is so it's exquisite because it is Veep. It is that sort of cringe comedy and that Jesse Armstrong that's came Shiv's from. Shiv's mother. Of course, that would be the person who's like, I'm going to go work for Barry, Bernie Sanders and push but, him to the center. Right. It's, but it's also, it's also Tennessee Williams. It's, it's, it's epic. And it is devastating, and it allows us to laugh and, on some level, weep at the tragedy of these people who were made this way. When we see it, Siobhan's behavior throughout the episode, it's immediately clear who this woman is, why she behaves the way she does, who her parents were, and what she values. You know, when they actually hug each other on the boat. Yeah. Uh, Physical contact is very strange for them. Yes. It is a strange performance. That's not how they reward each other, you know? And to see it all play out, it was, it, it was, it was dazzling. It's, I don't know how sustainable this is. I don't know, because, you know, they do a good job of suggesting that time has elapsed in between episodes. Yes, I appreciate that very much. Obviously, I thought 
the best scene or the best moment of last night's episode of Sunday night's episode was the Rava and Kendall interaction where Oof. he comes out of the bathroom after doing cocaine and she's sort of asking why haven't his lawyers gotten back to him, her, and she's brushing as he's trying to tell her that he's the reason he's jacked up is because he just did 120 pushups. 150, she, I think. She's brushing cocaine off his lapel. Yeah. And uh, they have that, you know, he has this moment of he wants to tell her off, but he also knows that she's seeing through him. But because she's seeing through him, she wants to say, he wants to say, you don't know me. It's just this and really well done moment. And, you know, how they can sustain things like Kendall's sobriety or just everybody getting together every few mm -hmm. weeks. Like, I don't know, maybe next season it'll be broken off into pairs and people will be off doing their own thing. And who knows how, how, how much they can sustain this tension, but you just got to enjoy it while it lasts. And with one more episode, there's still things that they're unpacking like Marsha, like, you know, like what's going to happen with this cruise ship thing that uh, Greg keeps witnessing shit. Mm -hmm. um, we don't really know. Yeah. I, I, I'm glad you talked about that, the Rava scene with Kendall, because none of this works if the writers aren't interested in the emotional landscape of the characters. None of it works. And they did something in the season that I was skeptical of before I watched the show, and I remained fiercely skeptical of for the first uh, third of the season, which was, I don't know if I care. Why would I care? Well, it snuck up on me. I care. Now, do I care because I want to hang out with these people? Of course not. But I care because their humanity is tattooed on their foreheads and is deeply compelling and deeply thought out. And that entire interaction that you point to, and I think they're, they're equals. I mean, I think that the Tom and Siobhan scene is similar. I think the psychology behind the Tom, sorry, the Siobhan and Jerry scene where they're drinking from the heavy crystal tumblers and rat fucking each other mm -hmm. and they respect that. And her marriage advice is don't let him die. Mm -hmm. um, it's present in every single one of these interactions. But the, the Kendall and Rava scene is excruciating because each character has a fully considered, fully realized um, agenda mm -hmm. in that scene towards each other. And you can watch as their gravitational fields overlap and then repel. And both characters remain true to the characters we've seen throughout the season. And the effect is palpable. Yeah, I think that's the only relationship I would say that, that is a little bit underserved by the time lapses because you don't really see the trajectory of it. But I thought that that was a really I, effective way of summing up what had happened I, there. I think there are other, I mean, like with everything, one could pick nits. And I think that um, the, uh, Senate, old Senator Gill, yeah. old Senator Bernie there, being at the wedding, again, it's like that's a play sure. that he has to be Yeah, there. it's like 20th century. It's, yeah. So if you have to accept that, that he would accept that invitation and show up there and that they would cross on the stairs, is it worth it for those two colliding like that? It's probably worth it. But it does not reward the show to spend too much time thinking about how they got there and their behavior, how, how the senator got there and his behavior once he's there. I think, I think those are the moments where it goes a little wobbly on the margins. But the one other thing about this episode that I want to call attention to, other than the fact that I was very nice of Mr. and Mrs. Wamsgams to pay for such expensive wine, <laughs> is that this was the one where they let the leash off Brian Cox, where he got the note that he's healthy now. Yes, he got to do the walk. And he, he got, got to do the Reservoir Dogs walk into the building. And then once he was there, it's like on Game of Thrones. You remember our man Ramsey? Of course when, I do. When yeah. Ramsey, Ramsey had, some, had some canine friends. <laughs> yeah. He's an animal lover. But remember what he would do before the war where he would just like not feed them? Yeah. Um, I felt like Brian Cox had been just 
just on some uh, Soylent for weeks on the sidelines. And then they told him that there was a steak dinner inside this house and he went for it. One of the hardest things you probably have to do if you've got, um, if you've got lines and bars the way Jesse Armstrong and his writers do, and you're saying things like, I'm on the verge of setting up a podcast on Napoleonic <laughs> history, is actually making your characters uh, speechless at times. And while he does get a couple of shots off, Kendall is essentially destroyed by Logan in yep. that meeting where he's just yep. like, you know, when are you going to get get out of the trenches and get back in the soccer game? And like, I could give you a reference for your resume. Yeah. And, you know, you want some corn for uh, the winter. Want to go have a catch, Dad. Yeah, right. It's brutal. The last thing I'll say, a week ago or so, you were talking about how HBO really excels at the um, ensemble cast. Mm-hmm. And this is no exception. I mean, one thing that I've learned in my short time in TV is that it's, you know, it's a financial decision how many people you can put on your main cast. I know. How many people, how you keep people under lock and key for a large ensemble. HBO has never really counted nickels and dimes on that score. And to see the length and breadth of this cast is stunning, especially when you realize breakout characters like um, Ariane Moyed, who plays Stewie, not even in the main cast acting like he belongs there, and I'm sure will be soon enough. J. Smith Cameron, who plays Jerry and mm-hmm. is crushing it. David David Raish, who we all remember as Sledgehammer, and also on Veep, just absolutely perfect mm-hmm. in his limited screen time. This is the week I realized that the woman who helped Tom close the circuit that he wanted to remain open <laughs> is Caitlin Fitzgerald, yeah, who, Tabitha. Is, who is the star yeah. of Masters of Sex. Um, this cast goes deep, and I... I close the circuit. I, I, I think it's pretty impressive and also speaks very promisingly of the seasons to come. Um, I've never been a rewatch kind of guy, but considering the way this season has turned and what it's built to, Uh I think it would definitely merit a reinvestigation of the first three on my part. Yeah. Because I wonder now if everything that I loved was there or if it really was just some tweaking on the fly I think that, that led they, to it. It had yeah. the same mechanics in terms of having everybody gathered. I think that the thing you're putting your finger on with like the the show has gotten healthier as Brian Cox's character got healthier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that allowed other characters to go off and do other things. All right, we're going to wrap it up there. Shorter episode today. We'll be back on Thursday because there's a bunch of stuff from TCAs that we wanted to address. Um, and we'll probably also talk about movie pass. Maybe we'll talk about guardians, all this stuff. So that'll be on Thursday show. And we have some great stuff for you next Monday with the succession finale. So stay tuned until then. Great job. Brian's case.